Welcome to the Fostering Change Podcast, Season 3. I'm Rob Shear, the founder of Comfort Cases and your host. Together, we have made such a difference in the world. We've met with leaders and change makers in the foster care system. We've met with charities and philanthropists, celebrities, authors, and so much more. We'll continue to bring you guests who will share how together, as a community, we can bring about change. Welcome once again to Fostering Change. So I'm so excited to welcome Jess Jaserta, who is the Director of the Crisis Services at the National Runaway Safe Line. Jess, welcome to Fostering Change. Thanks so much for having me today, Rob. I really appreciate it. So, you know, Jess, I want to go right in on it. I want to go ahead and let's talk about this. First of all, let me tell you some of the things I was surprised about. I did not know that November, which is, by the way, National Adoption Awareness Month, when more kids can foster care get adopted than any other month, that it's also the national, is it runaway month? It's National Runway Prevention Month, Rob, actually. It's what we celebrate in November. Why why have I not heard that before? I'm not sure, but I'm so happy that you've heard now. Um, It it is a a national public campaign where we work to shine a light on the experiences of young people who are at risk of homelessness and experiencing homelessness. And it's really a great way just nationally to really highlight One, the story that you shared connected to your son and also the experiences of so many other young people and families across the country. It's a way that we're able to involve local communities, organizations, individuals to really highlight this as an issue and really take action on on some steps that they can take towards elevating and amplifying the issue. So, you know, Jess, I'm always one who says that we always should take our passion and make it into a purpose. How did this become your purpose? That is such a great question. I appreciate you asking that. I feel so lucky and blessed that I found this pathway really early on in my career. I'm a social worker. I studied social work in undergrad and grad school. And my very first job after grad school was um, as a case manager in a low barrier drop-in center in an urban setting. I had the opportunity and privilege to walk alongside so many young people on their journey, was able to see the tough times and the beautiful moments. And um, I, I will forever be grateful for young people who allowed me to enter into their lives and learn more about their experiences. Over the past 10 years, this is the work that I've done, primarily with young people within the housing and homelessness field throughout the Midwest. And I just, again, feel so grateful that I found this calling so early on in my career. Yeah, you know, I will tell you, I can remember, so, you know, people know my story. I'm the youngest of 10 kids. Um, my, it, it wasn't uncommon at any given time that one of my siblings were running away. I actually remember as a young boy, my sister, you know, who is the closest in my age that she was getting ready to run away. Um, and again, it was always because of the same reason, because of the abuse and the neglect that, that that occurred in my family. And I remember, you know, she was going to run away and she said it to me and I was probably no more than eight or nine years old. And I immediately ran and told my mom and dad, because the thought of my sister leaving me alone with those monsters, um, it, it, to me, it was so hard. Let's let's really 
tear this Band-Aid off? And, and why do we see such an increase, which is what I've seen such an increase for, is children running away, not only kids from foster care. And by the way, I get it when it comes to kids running away from foster care. My listeners are going to send me emails at, you know, fosteringchange at comfortcases.org saying, what do you mean you get it? Let me tell you, we all know the trauma these kids come in in foster care. But what I'm seeing more of are what we consider mainstream kids who are also running away. I mean, your, your story, and I really appreciate your transparency and honesty with sharing your story too, Rob. I think it's so important when we talk about this issue and, and really elevate and, and recognize the, the dynamics involved, right? I will say that it's one of the difficult things, right, is that we, we often have this, there's this sense here when we hear the word runaway that folks are thinking we're talking about bad kids, right? Kids that are that are naughty, they are not following the rules, they're not doing what they're supposed to be doing, right? But in reality, we're, we're talking about really complex situations, young people who developmentally are still learning who they are, still growing into their selves, and navigating just really, really difficult situations, abuse and neglect, like what you spoke to, parental conflict, family conflict, not feeling accepted for who they are, um, all of those things intersect and put young people in a situation where sometimes they're feeling like leaving is the safest option for them. Um, something for you to know with National Runaway Safe Line, um, we actually hear from, of all the young people that we hear from, 70% of young people are actually still at home at the time that they're reaching out, which to me tells me that young people are really seeking safe, supportive adults to help them navigate tough, tough situations. And thankfully, we serve as a, a platform and an opportunity for young people to reach out and to have those conversations, because we know if they're not having them with safe, supportive adults, they may be having them with folk, with conversations with folks that may not be safe and supportive, right? Yeah, I mean, you have to look at the statistics. The statistics show us that 80% of kids who are trafficked are actually from foster care. So um, if we could just imagine what the other kids who are being trafficked, you know, the thing that gets me, though, is when it comes to runaway, you you touched a little bit about this. I, I do believe that a lot has to do with the mental illness that, you know, we so many of us face. I've, I'm very open about the fact that, you know, I suffer from depression, you know, but I also am kind of concerned that kids use runaway as a threat. And 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 I'm going to give an example. And, you know, I've I've always said this. I'm, I'm transparent. I'm up a book. I have one kid who proceeded to threaten me with runaway because they did not like the fact that I didn't want them to be hanging out with the certain friends because the friends were not good influence. And by the way, let's all remind each other, there's no such thing as a bad kid. It's only a kid that needs to be redirected. But it was that constant threat because... That child knew that we had dealt with another child who actually had run away and run away many times and, you know, kept us. What, what do we say to those kids? Yeah, that's such a difficult situation because we know that. And I see it when you share your story, right? That That's so emotional. That's so personal. You worry about the safety of your child. You worry about where they're going to go, who they're going to turn to. And, and for parents, that is so difficult. And young people, that's so difficult too, right? Just trying to figure out what, what options they have to, to navigate 
when maybe having a conversation is difficult, maybe facing some of those challenges is difficult too. One of the things that, that I am really concerned about, and, and this actually just happened two days ago, um, I had a friend of mine reach out to me and he was telling me about a young girl who is friends with his daughter, but they're not really good friends. And, um, and by the way, I live in a town where most of the kids all go to private schools. And so um, we don't have any apartments or condos in our town. So, you know, but one of the things that he had said was this girl had ran away Find you, she's 18 years old. She's a senior in high school. She's ran away and she's living in her car. And um, and what do we feel they should do? So one of the first things I said to them was, she's 18. So Jess, what could we do for somebody at 18 who's still a senior in high school and has ran away because their mom and dad caught them smoking pot in their bedroom? Absolutely. Yeah, I, I think that's a really great question. And I do want to highlight one of the services that National Railway Safeline offers, because I think this is also something that could be considered when thinking about other supportive folks in your network, other, other people that are connected to the family as well. So one of the services that we provide is a conference service and a messaging service. Something that we know is that it's really difficult, especially when folks are in the heat of the moment and, and frustrated and upset and having a hard time communicating their needs. Having neutral parties as part of that conversation can be really helpful. Um, and folks that really care about young people, care about the young person and care about the family too. Um, so our messaging service, it's actually an opportunity for young people to reach out and share a message with family to help reconnect some of that communication Parents are able to call in and receive those messages and share them back. It's, it's a low barrier way for families to connect and share messages of concern, of love, of reminders that we're still here, and young people to share, hey, I'm safe, and right now I'm okay, but I just wanted to make sure that I'm maintaining some connection with you too. The next level of that would be our conference call. And Again, as you know, when folks are in the heat of the moment and really frustrated and upset, it's, again, really difficult to have conversations about needs. This is an opportunity for one of our incredible NRS crisis services team members to be part of the conversation and offer a neutral space to guide and mediate some of those conversations too. Again, kind of taking a step back and looking at the needs of everybody in this space, right? It, it is very okay for parents to say, hey, if you're going to be at home, you can't smoke pot. Right. That's a that's a that's a non-negotiable. Right. And and I think it's very OK for parents to set boundaries and expectations with young people. I also think in that conversation, really having some conversations about what the young person need, person's needs are, are also really important. Right. What is causing the use? What is going on there and what is missing? Um, so I just think about the opportunity to build in some some ways to connect, to have some conversations and um, what, even even outside of NRS, right? Thinking about like a safe teacher at school, somebody that the young person trusts and goes to, another safe, supportive adult, and being able to bring in some of those additional folks to be part of that conversation too, I think is so important too. Yeah, you know, the one thing that I've I've noticed about this conversation, Jess, is that it's all about communication. It's all about, you know, 
communicating and everybody having a safe space to communicate. You know, I'm old school. I'm 55 years old. If there was, I come from the age where a child is to be seen and not heard. And, and you do this because I told you to do it. I, I remember as a young boy, my foster parent, I would ask them if I could go to my friend Todd's house to play. And he would say no. And I would say, well, why? And he would say, um, because I said so. You know, and it's something that as a parent, I have made sure that I try, I do not do, um, is that if there is a reason for me to say no, there is a reason and not just because I said so. Listen, everybody, this conversation is so amazing. It is something that has touched very close to the Sheer family. Um, it is something that, you know, I have to tell you, I hope no parent has to experience it. Um, not to know where your child is laying their head at night, no matter what is going on within those walls of your home, you know, there is a time in our hearts that you've got to realize that these are kids, these are babies, and they need to feel safe. And they need to be heard. Listen, we're going to take a quick break. And um, I look forward to coming back and talking with my friend Jess a little longer. So hold tight right there, my friends. Comfort Cases is now partnered with Clean the World, an amazing organization dedicated to water, sanitation, and hygiene. Clean the World operates recycling centers across the world. Hong Kong, the Netherlands, Las Vegas, Orlando, and including our nation's capital. They are leading a global hygiene revolution. They are distributing recycled soap and hygiene products from more than 8,000 travel and hospitality partners. Clean the World has made the decision to donate hygiene products to comfort cases so we can place them in our cases. These products are so important to our youth that are entering foster care. You know, having their own brand new hygiene product really means a lot to them. These donations will truly give these kids an amazing feeling of self-worth. I want to thank you so much, Clean the World. And for more information on how you can donate, please visit their website at cleantheworld.org. Well, what an amazing first part of Fostering Change. You know, um, I am here talking with my friend, Jess Jaserta. Jess is the director of the crisis service at the National Runaway Safe Line. You know, I think quite often, Jess, about the fact that we have so many opportunities for children to get help, but sometimes it's really hard for them to ask for that. You know, um, I touched briefly about this. I've talked, you know, about having my son who ran away and was gone for over 50 some days. Um, my son, you know, like me, suffers from um, mental illness. I mean, I see so many kids within our system, whether they suffer from depression or suffer from reactive attachment disorder, which by the way, for kids in foster care, that is so common. And that's why they run so much. Um, wh what are you guys doing to focus on the mental health of these kids? Absolutely. I, that's such an important topic, and I really appreciate you bringing that up, Rob. Something that we found, we recently published our 2020 Crisis Services and Prevention Report, is, and that's something that we work on with Chapin Hall out of the University of Chicago. What we found in 20, when you say 2020, right, we know that we are in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic and all that has come from that as well. 
what we found is that we saw an increase in young people reaching out due to mental health needs. This is actually one of the first times that we've seen that specifically named as a need and a reason that young people are reaching out. So one, kind of looking at it in a couple different ways, right? What a strength for young people to reach out and disclose and share that mental health has been something that has been a challenge and something that they're needing to get some support to navigate. And two, also incredible that young people are sharing and have some language around what that means and what that looks like for them. In some ways, it's a, it's a really beautiful thing, right? Being able to have young people reaching out and disclosing some really personal, intimate details of their, of their life and their situation and, and what they're experiencing, but also how devastating that this pandemic has had such a detrimental impact on young people's mental health something that we're able to do in those moments, right? Young people are reaching out saying, I need help with X, is it is our goal to always, one, support a young person, really better understand what they're going through, meeting them where they're at, and then considering what are some local resources and other supports that are available in their local communities that we can help connect them to. Um, Oftentimes we'll get calls from young, young people saying, I want to meet with a therapist. I don't really know what to do. How can I help? How can you help with this? And we have a a resource database that's made up of like 6,500 different resources across the country that we're able to help young people get connected to. So in that moment, we're able to work with the young person, identify their local community and help make sure that they get some information on who to to talk to next and who to get some support from. Um, it's, It's a really great opportunity, right, for young people to talk with a safe adult who is non-judgmental, not directive, not telling them what to do and helping them to, to identify and figure out kind of what their next step is and make a plan with them. Um, we're able to do that either through like providing just simply the information and supporting the young person and accessing themselves or making a call with them to help with that process as well. I think, I think that that's that's a that's an experience that I know is is not only has not only been impacted by the COVID-19 pandemic, but will, will only continue. Right. This is not going away and young people are struggling and suffering. Yeah. 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 Because adults, you know, I mean, the fact is, is just like us adults. I mean, we have to realize that, you know, it's OK to ask for help. It's okay to say that we are struggling in that moment of darkness. You know, I always call it the well, Um, you know, as someone who suffers from depression and, and, you know, having children and, and, you know, several of my children suffer from depression. And I always think about, you know, falling into that well. And, and as dark as that well is, you don't see the rope that someone's holding there for you to pull yourself up. And, and, um, I think it's so important, you know, for those kids who are hearing this, or by the way, if you're a parent and you're listening to, to this episode of Fostering Change, sit your teens down and have that conversation. You know, I say this quite often to my children, you know, I'm not there to be their friend, but I'm there to be their guide to be their guide. And how do we be their guide is by listening. We listen, you know, we pick up on things, we talk to them, we have the conversations and understanding that each and every one of us have the ability to feel the way we feel, the way we feel, you know, and I think that we have forgotten that just along the way when it comes to the feelings of a child. I mean, let me tell you something. 
I grew up in the 70s and the 80s and and feelings were not the same as they are in 2020, 2021, you know, 2022 as we are sitting in right now and going through a pandemic the way we have gone through this pandemic. I mean, it, it just one of the biggest things that I fear, and I'm going to say this because I know my listeners are expecting me to ask the tough questions. When my son ran away, the problem I had was that I felt because of the color of his skin, okay, the color of his skin, he was immediately classified as a bad kid and no one was searching. And, you know, and I really felt that and I still feel that. And by the way, I know you're listening to me in my county and in my state. And yes, I will say it again. You failed me. Okay, because of the color of my son's skin. Do you see that so often throughout our runaway systems in the jurisdictions? Because if let me tell you, I know this for a fact, because I have I have friends whose kids have run away where their skin color is the same as mine, that white privileged skin color, and their child is found immediately and brought back to their front door. My child, you know, didn't, wasn't found immediately. We had to hire a private investigator to help locate him. And then when he was found, they didn't bring him back to his white parents. They stuck him in a psychiatric institute because he had problems because he was a runaway. Do you see this difference that we have seen throughout our country of this race divide of how children are treated when they run away because of the color of their skin. Well, I think you're highlighting such a critical point here, Rob, and I I really, again, appreciate you sharing your story too. Yes, um, what we see, right, young people who are experiencing homelessness, of the 4.2 million young people who experience homelessness each year, um, uh, disproportionately, we see young people of color who are impacted by that statistic. So specifically, young people who identify as Black, LGBTQ youth, um, or Indigenous youth, Latinx youth, right? These are all specific groups and populations that are disproportionately impacted by the issue of homelessness. We know that that's also mirrored in our foster care system, right? Those disproportionalities mirror there as well. I mean, you're highlighting an experience of frankly, millions of young people impacted by this issue every single year who deserve, right, exactly what you're sharing, deserve adults in their lives who are reaching out, searching, connecting, and supporting them in ways that that they should be as young people as well. Yeah, no, not, you know, I, I see as a father who is raising four Black kids, um, and three of my sons being boys of color, um, I have experienced it from the longest of times um, that, you know, we have not gotten better in how we treat our brothers and sisters whose skin colors do not match ours. And it is something that it... You know, I, I, I've said this story, I wrote about it in my book where the, you know, the, the woman who walked up and said, Oh, what beautiful family you have. You got such a beautiful family. I don't see any color. And then I said, I guess you don't see my four black kids that are standing there with me right now. You know, you know, Jess, I have to tell you the whole thing about runaway. Um, 
we know that it is a pathway to, you know, kids being exploited. We know it's a pathway for kids who are being trafficked and, you know, in the sex ring and the, the, the drug ring and the gang ring. And, and, you know, the one thing I have to tell you that I've learned from this is, is throughout my journey with, with, you know, doing this, this podcast and, and meeting people like you is that there's one common denominator and that's a child that wants to be wanted. Absolutely. When I was thinking about, about our conversation today, the thing that always comes back to me when we're talking about the young people that we serve is really, we're talking about young people who want to belong, who want to be loved, who wants to be cared for, right? And um, when that's absent, right? When that's not happening, We know that young people are searching for that in ways that are unsafe, right? In ways that um, are are just not not effective in in helping them progress, right? Move move in life, um, feel feel supported, um, work towards their dreams and ambitions and things like that too. And I I think it's just so important that we, when we think about solutions, when we think about how how are we moving forward? We're really thinking about, again, where young people are at in adolescent development, right? All of this is a natural, normal part of adolescent development to figure out who I am and who I am in my skin and how that relates to you and who's there for me and who's not there for me. Um, We know when we're talking about situations where young people are unable to meet their basic needs, and that's, that's what we're talking about, right? We're not only talking about that sense of belonging, we're also talking about situations where young people are unable to access food, um, safe places to stay. They're, they're unable to like keep track of their belongings, right? These basic things that, that you and I may, may take for granted so often. Um, we're also putting young people and young people are in a position where, again, they're leaning on folks that may be unsafe to meet those needs. Yeah. You know, I say this quite often, you know, the fact of, you know, I was pretty shocked by the number you just told me about the number of youth that are homeless, you know, and the thing that I remind people is that the reason that we don't see those kids um, is because kids, teenagers who are homeless, and by the way, I was one of those kids. I was one of those kids. I was homeless my entire senior year of high school. And the reason people didn't realize that is because I blended into society because I was scared of what would happen to me. So I hung out at the mall and I hung out at the public library and I couch surfed when I could couch surf. But I wasn't standing at a corner with a sign saying, I'm the homeless kid. Give me food. Give me money. Because we are so scared about what will happen to us. Do you do you see that? that quite often as well because what I hear the adults say well what do you mean we have four million homeless youth I mean I don't see them I don't see them anywhere but they're there yeah yeah I think it's so important that we take a step back and question what we believe homelessness looks like especially when we're talking about young people and families right what you're describing is so typical young people are in situations where they're still going to school right they're still working. They're still pr- moving forward in life in so many different ways. And homelessness looks different for them. You highlighted one, one really key area. And one thing that we see often is that young people couch up, right? They're able to stay with family or friends for varying lengths of time. And I do want to know if I said family and friends, sometimes this also looks like staying with unsafe people because there's, they have no other options as well. Um, but you're not you're not going to see young people who are staying in the street, um, 
under this happens, right? Like staying on a street, on a bridge, things like that, that people think about when we think about stereotypical homelessness. You may see that, but that's not the norm. Young people are in situations where they're hidden, they're invisible, and they're doing just what you were doing, right? Which is, again, a normal part of adolescent development, trying to avoid eyesight, trying to get people off their radar, off their back, so they can keep doing the things that they need to do. It's our job to reach out, to lend a hand, to support, and to help connect young people to supports and resources that are available to end that. Um, you, you mentioned that you had experienced homelessness when you were a senior in high school. A staggering fact that always gets me every single time, Rob, is that young people without a high school diploma or a GED are 346% more likely to experience homelessness in, adult, in, in young adulthood. That's a stat out of Chapin Hall, that research facility I mentioned earlier out of the University of Chicago. 346%, right? That's insane. Yes. I mean, that I just, I can't even wrap my mind around that number, you know, but I will tell you, I mean, we see that in foster care where only 54% of kids get a high school diploma. And that was the one thing that I was determined, no matter the fact that I was experiencing homelessness my entire senior year of high school, that I was going to get that piece of paper. Um, Wow, Jess, I'm going to tell you, this conversation has been absolutely, uh, it's, you know, I love it when we educate each other and when we educate our community. I want to remind people, I say this quite often, the path we walk down today with our children is our future tomorrow, truly. If the path we walk down today is our future tomorrow, and you get to choose that path, and that path starts with communication, with communication. Jess, how can people get a hold of you? How can we support your organization and really shine a light on this? Because I'm going to tell you something right now. I know that my producers are listening and my sponsors are listening. And Jess, I want you back in November. I want us to shine a light because, like I said, I didn't even know anything. Thing about this national that the you know runaway prevention awareness month even existed and i want us to shine a light on this because i'm telling you everyone i'm telling you you want to make your dollar count you want to make your dollar count invested in a child invested in a child not a politician okay not not a politician you invested in a child and invested in organizations that are making our children stronger. So Jess, how do we get a hold of you? Yeah, I would love for everybody to visit our website. It's actually 1-800-RUNAWAY.org. Pretty easy to remember. Um, Not only is that a space where you can access all of our services, both our hotline services and our digital services, learning more for young people, parents, or guardians to help connect to some support through our crisis services team. But also on there, you'll find an enormous amount of Um, educational materials, ways to get involved. Um, And so I just encourage everybody to take a look at 1-800-RUNAWAY.org or reaching out to our hotline at 1-800-RUNAWAY. It's our hotline, again, easy to remember. um, And it's just a phone call away for some support. Well, I will tell you, thank you. Thank you for being a good human. Thank you for caring about our future. Everyone, this has been another unbelievable conversation at Fostering Change. You know, it's so important that we all understand that we have an opportunity, an opportunity to be a part of the change. And the change is not allowing us to continue on with the status quo, to make sure that our children are safe and they feel comfortable. Because I'm going to tell you something, take it from this 55 year old 
those children that we're talking about, they're going to be taking care of me in my future. And so I want to make sure that I guide them in the right way, just like I know each and every one of you can help guide. Until next time, this is Rob Shear at Fostering Change. Take care. I want to say thank you to each and every one of you for listening or watching the latest episode of Fostering Change. All of us on our team hope that you've learned something new today and have been inspired to be a good human. Now, just a reminder that you can always find Fostering Change on your favorite channels on Google, Spotify, iTunes, YouTube, and others including, of course, comfortcases.org. I want to give a big thank you to all of you for joining us each and every week. And a reminder that if you have a suggestion for a guest, or maybe you might have a question about today's podcast, or are interested in becoming a sponsor of Fostering Change, please don't hesitate to email me personally at fosteringchange@comfortcases.org. Now, that's it for now. Thanks again, and we'll see you next Tuesday. Take care.